you see that there's a strong correlation between how close companies are located to each other and the growth. So how closer they are, how faster they grow. Millions of options for one building. So you get the ultimate best design created by the algorithms that design all these billions of variations. Hi there and welcome to a new series of the podcast No Stone Unturned from Savills. In this podcast we will talk about the trends and developments in Dutch real estate. From hotels to offices and from retail to logistics. I am Charlotte Harmsen and in this episode I'm going to talk about the tech industry. Because lots of office space in Amsterdam is occupied by tech tenants. But how do the developments in the tech industry influence the real estate market? I'm going to talk about that with two guests today, Herman Kienhuis, co-founder of Curiosity VC, and Maurice van Tilburg, Managing Director from TechLeap. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Herman, I'm going to start with you. Um, investments in Dutch startups have decreased last year. We saw in the news in the Netherlands that 5.3 billion in 2021 was invested and 2.6 billion in 2022. What, what happened? Yeah, I think 2022 was a special year. Uh, so we are basically going back to normal again a bit. Uh, and, uh, and and that is indeed a reduction. But if you look at uh, the comparison to tw- 2020, we're still increasing. So it's a short-term peak rather than now a long-term decrease. I think so. That's that's my observation. 2021 was really a special year with an extraordinary amount of investments uh, and enthusiasm. Uh, but, uh, well, I, I think we're still on a growing curve. Yeah. And what caused that sort of spike in investment in 2021? Uh, well, there's a whole combination. I think uh, free money, like uh, low or negative interest, uh, is, is one of the factors. Uh, then uh, there was, of course, the, uh, the COVID sort of uh, aftermath, where there was a lot of digital technology being used. Uh, adoption was growing. Uh, so investors became very enthusiastic and started investing more and more and more. Um, but maybe they they overdid it a bit. They overdid it a bit. And, and, and is that what we're seeing now? So maybe they were very enthusiastic in 2021 and now seeing, okay, let's take a step back and look towards the more longer term. Yes, that's uh, that's at least my observation. Also, how, how we look at it as an investment company. Uh, of course, we started only in 2022 with Curiosity. Uh, but we invest in a long-term development of artificial intelligence. Uh, we see, you know, a major uh, value being created by these new technologies over the coming 10 years. So that's the, the the horizon that we have for our investments. But still, if I look in the in the media, you see a lot of uh, news um, articles about uh, layoffs and uh, a big tech investor like Process is is cutting uh, 30% of their their jobs. Um, that still is a signal, right? True, true. Yeah, and it's it's not all maybe a correction. There's definitely a, a change in in the market. Um, so part of the correction is that uh, companies have become less capital efficient because there was so much money, and now they're you know focusing more on efficiency. I think that's one big element. Another big element is that there is um, well a less economic development now because of the war, because of energy crisis. So the economic development has slowed down. And that's why um, companies also, uh, I think, focus now on a maybe a more slower development of, of their staff, maybe also uh, um, yeah, creating more runway for the coming period. 
Okay, and, and Maurice, uh, do you agree with Herman that there's still a bright future for investment in tech uh, startups and, and, and scale-ups? Yeah, I think that didn't change so much. I agree that, I mean, last year was a bit of an overstressed marketplace where also we had some new, uh, crazy new entrants that started uh, like uh, Tiger Global. I think you that started changing the game like on a you know f- very frequent basing investing without even looking very much at the propositions i think it's a bit back to normal um in that sense from an investing perspective for companies i think several have seen some markets go down like mortgage market uh, there's uh, quite some and and the interest rates going up changing changing that um And so you see companies that have grown over time and have grown so far, they haven't have forgotten what it is to get in even a small crisis. And then I think they they're adjusting and making sure that they refocus on the on the the cash flow forecast. Um, But I think overall there's enough there. There's uh, what's interesting is that the investments in sustainable uh, companies is actually uh, at par still. So that didn't really suffer and actually is getting more traction now. And of course, uh, TechLeap, uh, uh, the company you work for, is also very much focused on yeah, making a healthy startup yep. uh, environment in the Netherlands. And these startups that are in tech, if how dependent are they from uh, investors like uh, Herman Curiosity on survival? So how resilient are they to the fact that maybe now investment is stabilizing let's say stabilizing instead of uh, declining yeah so we look at where what we call market failure so where is the market not working for which type of companies i think until recently i think i would say if you have a software-based company uh in the fintech space for example it's it was becoming quite okay uh, to get money to attract money There was not a big problem. I think the biggest problems were around uh, like the really big tickets. So if you're really big, uh, becoming big with your product and you really want to grow massively and and actually uh, go into international competition, those what we call tickets of uh, uh, yeah, multiple hundreds of millions or even more, those in Holland were tricky. Uh, and the second thing is, I think, deep tech. We see like the hardware, uh, like uh, health tech type of solutions, maybe uh, smart industries and chips. These sort of things are more tricky to fund at the moment. And uh, that's also where as TechLeap we try to focus most on helping because we're not, we, I mean, we're funded with public money. So we should really always focus on where market failure is and not create more uh, competition for Herman, for example. Yeah. <laughs> and um, if you look at uh, Amsterdam, where the city where we are uh, sitting right now, uh, we saw in the past, uh, Sevels uh, did a lot of research on uh, on the office market in Amsterdam and saw that the take-up of office space uh, was very much um, well reliant on the tech sector. Or the tech sector was the big driver of the uh, take-up in Amsterdam. How important are these tech stores startups for uh, the city of Amsterdam? I think for the whole economy, it's super important. I mean, we've done calculations and models also with uh, McKinsey uh, and it's just like until 2030, we expect that that market could grow like 60% of the AX. So just to give you an idea. And also it means like it's uh, 350,000 jobs basically that normally are to be created. So it means in that size, that's massive. Now, whether that 
comes to actual office space, that depends a bit on the stage of a company and the business they're in, to be honest. There's quite a lot of software companies. I think several of them are remote and uh, are not necessarily looking for a lot of things. They might uh, use flexible offices, etc. When they become bigger and they need to organize teams across uh, countries, etc., or for deep tech, where they need, uh, at some point, they need uh, factories and they need uh, to bring labs and everything together, then it becomes interesting. So that's why you see Adjen uh, going at Rokin, uh, big booking building in the center of Amsterdam, uh, or you see uh, an other hubs like around Delft, uh, Rotterdam or, or Eindhoven or like more Twente, you see uh, specific uh, industry labs and areas developed uh, for those. Uh, Maybe more life sciences. Uh, yeah, for example, yeah. life sciences in Utrecht also. Yes, so that that's, that's uh, so it depends a bit on the industry, I would say also. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> what we see in Amsterdam is that there, there is something to Amsterdam which attracts talent also from from outside the Netherlands. So it started with maybe the um, the U- European headquarters of of bigger tech firms like Uber, Netflix, uh, um, Booking as a, as a Dutch company then, but. Uh, that attracted a lot of international talent. And then these people actually started also building their own companies and then attracting more talent to come to Amsterdam. And I, I think that uh, is still going, it's uh, still uh, going steady. There's still, we see also um, a lot of talent um, which wants to come to Amsterdam because the quality of life is so good. The accessibility is good. You can go every everywhere. Um, so, for example, we invest in um, uh, Scandinavian companies and then they they are always talking to us to maybe set up a second office in Amsterdam. Or we talk to co- companies from Eastern Europe and they also want to move to Amsterdam because the legal framework is much better here. And so there's all kinds of reasons why people are still uh, attracted to Amsterdam. So we think that Amsterdam uh, Amsterdam's tech scene will still keep growing. With uh, with all this tech talent that is uh, coming, I have to. You do have to realize that we we think Amsterdam, but uh, like if you take uh, the size of London and you put it on Amsterdam, you have the whole Randstad, right? So, for other people, they don't mind to go to some other place outside of Amsterdam. So also, I think in that sense, it's important. And also, you see, Amsterdam has a lack of housing, basically. So we see that uh, quite some tech companies are looking to attract people from abroad. And uh, it will also mean that people start living around the areas of Amsterdam and commuting a lot because actually the living space in Amsterdam is is, is a bit tricky and uh, scarce. Yeah, we also do a, a tech cities report. It's from World Research where we look at several factors that might attract uh, tech companies to the Netherlands. So it could be housing prices, office rent, uh, rental prices, but also like the the cost of a, a flat white or uh, the new pair of sneakers, whatever. It's, it differs per, per city, of course. And I think that uh, Dutch cities were always quite uh, quite high. But of course, we also see a lot of sort of criticism on government and the, um, the climate for startups and, and companies uh, in the Netherlands. How do you uh, view that? Are we still actually attractive to, uh, to companies? 
I think we are, yes, definitely. Uh, so on the one hand, it's the quality of life, which is really good, uh, but also the infrastructure for our new companies, you know, the legal framework, the digital infrastructure, the talent, the uh, academic institutions, I think they're all really high quality. So, yeah, I think the government is... Um, there's always, you know, a way that government can support the ecosystem better, but I don't think that they're doing a bad job. Uh, and and also maybe they should just, um, uh, well, get out of the way, you know, get get uh, barriers out instead of maybe trying to support it a lot. No, they I think they should just get the red tape out of out of uh, out of the way. And what is red tape in your eyes? Well, um, could be uh, tax uh, problems, legal problems, um, maybe getting visas for talent. But th- there's there's actually quite some good arrangements now for uh, tech migrant visa. Maybe one uh, problem still to uh, to tackle is the uh, uh, taxation of uh, options for personnel. Uh, that is, there's also steps being made, but it's not completely solved yet. Yeah, I think it's important to realize that in a startup context, uh, startups cannot pay a lot because they're not yet earning a lot. So if they attract, then there needs to be a way to share growth with the employees. And there's international standards for it. And in Holland, we're still a bit below par there. We're getting there. We're making some steps. But I think there's still much to be done. Like, how do you see it? How do you taxate it? Because, yeah, you need to also be able to attract people to those companies uh, instead of going to only the big companies. Also knowing that I would say 80, 90% of innovation nowadays doesn't happen in big corporates anymore. It happens, big corporates often now have a horizon of three years of uh, reaching impact, reaching uh, new ideas, etc. Also because their their governance and shareholders, etc. So uh, we see a lot of the innovation going to smaller startups. And I think that we should realize the importance for our economy of that group and also make sure that it's, it's at least as attractive to work for as in any other industry. I think uh, before we dive further into the needs of tech companies, uh, specifically in office space um, and other real estate solutions, I think it would be nice maybe to um, uh, dive into the questions from my colleagues. So I asked my colleagues to send in some questions for you and um, let's listen to the first one. Hi Herman, Wout van Grunewald here, analyst for the office market at Savills. Do you believe that now that venture capital investments are on the decline, a clear split between winners and losers in the tech sector will be visible? And if so, how would that impact their current office occupation? Thank you very much. Herman, yeah, we <laughs> this talked is one about for it, you, I think. We talked about it a bit already. So, I'm, I'm, of course, we, yeah, we, we're definitely seeing a decline versus last year or 2021, we should say. Uh, last year, it already started uh, on the decline. But I, I think that... Overall, in the long term, we're still on this uh, growing curve, uh, and investors are still, you know, interested to invest in the best tech companies uh, that build these new solutions for societal problems. So um, I don't see a clear split then happening between the winners and the losers. It, it will always be, you know, there will be a lot of failures when you invest in in innovation, invest in entrepreneurs. Uh, you have to. Uh, realize that yeah it's a lot of experimentation so a lot of companies will fail but probably 
these entrepreneurs will come back with a better idea and will be successful after all. Not so, every startup can be a unicorn, right? No, indeed, indeed. So, yeah, it's also a matter of, as an investor, to build a portfolio uh, so you have a higher chance of success uh, to uh, yeah, invest in the right companies, but you will also see some failures in your portfolio. I think for a real estate investor, which is of course mostly our audience, that's such a different strategy, right? I, I don't know of a lot of real estate investors that uh, want some of their properties uh, or that accept some of their properties to fail. They're uh, used to... Uh, no, it is it is a very different model. But and indeed, in real estate, you, you don't see the, the, you know, the upside that you can get with uh, venture capital investment. So if, if a tech company is really successful and scales globally it can be really successful and your investment can go like times hundred or times thousand so you want to uh, optimize for those upside and then you you accept that there's also a lot of failures in that portfolio as well and if you were to advise sort of real estate landlords that are maybe a bit hesitant to attract a tech company as a tenant because they feel yeah is it Will they grow or will they decline or will they go bust? Or what, w- what would your advice be um, to those landlords? Oh, that's a good question. I-, I guess it is about flexibility because companies grow and maybe they, they reduce their staff and they go hybrid. And so there's, the, yeah, there's definitely, they, they need to provide flexibility to attract these companies. Mm-hmm. Especially in early stage, I think it's much more driven by, by the founders uh, by the team, by the people and the way they work and, and not so much where. Um, but I think when a company grows, then, you know, it is it's becoming more difficult to attract the talent and then also the physical space and you know, where you bring the people together become more important. But I think, especially in the early stage, I think it's more founder-driven. Yeah. I think our next question from my colleague Ellen uh, fits nicely into... Uh What you just said. Hi, my name is Ellen and I'm heading the agency department of Savills in Amsterdam. And I was wondering, what do you recommend for a landlord to do if they would target the tech industry uh, as their, say, target group? Uh, If they feel that their property is a fit for the tech sector. What specifics needs to be there? What is most critical in order to attract a tech company as a tenant? Yeah, well, we we talked about flexibility. I think that's uh, important. So no long-term contracts, uh, for example. Maybe the ability to uh, to rent only for a couple of days per week. So you have you can actually form a, a hybrid uh, solution. Um, I also think it's interesting to create... Uh, or, or to, to create this community of companies that you can interact with. Uh, so you have uh, not only your own company, but but maybe a, a selection of companies. But those, those are some ideas. Yeah, flexibility, we talked about uh, uh, renting a couple of days a week. I think that's an interesting one because we've heard in the Netherlands, ING, a big bank, is closing their offices on Friday. And one of the first thoughts that I had when I read that was, well, that's not really sustainable either, right? Because there's a huge property standing there not being used yeah, one, exactly. one day a week. Exactly. So we are, we are three days per week in the office and we actually tried to uh, to get to a deal with uh, another company in our building so that we should sort of share, share the, the office space, space for, for a couple of days per week. Uh, currently, we didn't we didn't really uh, uh, succeeded there, but uh, I think if there's sort of solutions for that, that would be helpful. Yeah. It's an interesting idea because also yeah, it makes more sense to optimally use the space, right? 
I think to be honest, I think there's a very important thing that you touched upon, which is community. So um, I think that um, it's, first of all, in the, in the interest of the industry, you see that there's a strong correlation between how close companies are located to each other and the growth. So how closer they are, how faster they grow. And it's because they, the, it's actually the interactions between companies and people from different companies that actually help this industry to grow. So from that perspective, I think it's uh, good that uh, one or more different providers in a region decide <laughs> uh, that maybe they're going to focus on uh, a group and maybe also a sector because it's very sect sector specific. So I think it's important to think around it more holistically. So you create uh, more, uh, you can create a community where they actually bounce off each other's ideas and they exchange ideas and, and they grow together. And with that, you by itself, you have some uh, failing and some growing. And I think that's a natural thing to happen. But I think that's a, that would be an important thing because if you have, if it's just a series of uh, tech startups in one building, just three or four, it doesn't necessarily, I think that, uh, they like to be uh, surrounded by other tech companies. Yeah, and then there's actually maybe also an idea that people often talk about the tech sector, but there's actually like subsectors here that are quite different, you know, and the communities are more like these subsectors. So, for example, in biotech or in, you know, energy, all everything around the energy transition. Or of course, well, the, the urban mobility, uh, mobility or, yeah. segment where I'm in is more like the software and SaaS industry. Uh, maybe that's more developed already. But you you have these subsectors which are also quite interesting uh, for uh, the real estate industry to create communities around. One which is uh, also really interesting, I think, is the prop tech sector, which is then a subsector of the software market, uh, which is then software for the for the real estate industry. So, well, maybe you can create a community around that and not only uh, have them as tenants, but also as partners. Yeah, yeah, of course, we've seen a lot of developments in PropTech uh, for, for smart, smarter building uh, solutions. Um, I'm immediately thinking of, you know, how would that translate to an advice for a landlord? But I think, you know, we have several landlords in the Netherlands that own multiple buildings in Amsterdam, for example. So would you then recommend them to really look at their tenants like a puzzle? So not just try to find a tenant that fits that space, but to look at which tenants are you attracting and could they complement each other? Yeah, I think that that would be a value add. Definitely. A more strategic approach to... Uh... Yeah, I think to, to be honest, I think when you have a target audience, think and act like the target audience. And the way tech companies think is like the why, the what, and the how. So where in which sectors I would study and do and have some hypothesis around which areas or which sectors or which segments do we think have a need of uh, actual this sort of infrastructure or buildings? And then think like, okay, so maybe engage with those and make sure that you then define better, like what is it that we can offer? And then also how. I think that's in generally... Uh, yeah, you know, we we also technically we try to be founder centric. So it doesn't mean you do everything of what a tech company wants, but with everything you develop, you think and check and validate with the target audience. And I think that's an important uh, 
lesson from the tech sector? Yeah, I think it's very interesting to to know exactly what target group want. Uh, and also, yeah, we, we survey that, but still, uh, I think you can get a more in-depth sort of persona of exactly, the yeah. tenants that you're yeah. targeting. I'm also very curious to hear, maybe Herman, uh, uh, you can tell a bit about what the main developments are in tech and which kind of startups do we need to keep an eye on? Yeah, okay. Um, well, there's, of course, a lot of uh, uh, interest now in, in artificial intelligence with the um, uh, emergence of uh, the, the generative AI uh, language models like ChatGPT. Uh, so that is a big development. and we I've see tried to make them write my press releases. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's really interesting what, uh, what it can do. And it's not only text, they can also help you with coding. Uh, there's also these image generators. So it's it's a massive development, and we see a whole um, new generation of entrepreneurs, you know, taking on these tools and building new companies to uh, to create new solutions with them. So we think it's really interesting, re- really exciting. Um, but there's of course all kinds of other developments as well. Um, I think quantum computing is a super interesting development. Uh, photonics, um, like more high tech developments, where we as the Netherlands have quite a good position. Um, Why so, is that? Well, there's a lot of uh, um, academic research. Uh, there's a lot of uh, companies working on it. Um, so uh, it's not my my uh, uh, specialism, but uh, but I think that those areas are also really interesting. Um, what could uh, artificial intelligence mean in the real estate industry? Yeah, we see that uh, in general the the real estate industry is 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 now uh, really catching up with digitization, uh, and because you you got more data, uh, you have all these new data processing capabilities and algorithms, you can actually create a lot of value with that. You can think about, um, for example, the energy efficiency to really uh, use all that data to improve the energy efficiency of buildings or improving uh, the indoor climate, which uh, one of our portfolio companies is focusing on, or gathering all kinds of air quality data and um, having algorithms to create smart recommendations to improve that. Um, I think that that is uh, where we see a lot of development. Uh, A second second area is in um, um, the design and development of buildings. And I think what, um, what we've seen is a couple of companies that use parametric design to not uh, design 10 buildings or 10 variants of a building, not 100, not 1,000, no millions of uh, options for one building. Variations. So, and then you can actually filter them for all, with all your criteria. So you get the, the ultimate best design created by, you know, the, the algorithms that design all these billions of variations. I think that's a really interesting development. Um, And, um, yeah, what we also see is that uh, in terms of real estate valuations, there's uh, there's also a good use case for AI. You know, me- really improving the quality of uh, of real estate valuations. Uh, one company we invested in, uh, Walter Living, is doing that for uh, residential um, um, uh, buildings, and uh, yeah, they're creating really good results. So more efficient um, uh, way of of doing high quality valuations of real estate. Any others that you want to point out, Maurice? Yeah, I think I mean, several things, I think. I mean, you, uh, so one is uh, predictive things. Like uh, you can have a lot of data and do predictions on the use of certain things like event uh, or 
or traffic or needs or so there's a lot of things you can uh, do with that also there's way new sort of data uh, available so around traffic around hubspots around uh, changes and movements in uh, concentrations of traffic and i can imagine that these sort of things are interesting when you want to uh, set up your buildings or want to see if what you do is getting traction for example and finally, I think around the value of it, I think a lot is uh, going to change because I think at the moment, of course, um, uh, the only way to bring everything into one marketplace would be to standardize everything. And it's difficult because you can't compare companies. But with AI, you would be able to create more algorithms for valuations uh, and and for, you know, uh, and, and deciding what to pay, etc. So also there I would expect it might influence. Um, and but it needs a completely other way of thinking, right? Uh, because uh, valuations have historically, they are based on past transactions exactly. and not on future predictions. Exactly. Exactly. So you would go, uh, also look at the latest news trends and you could even have algorithms pr predict sort of what would be logical trends going forward. Of course, with a certain amount of caution, because predictions are, you know, are always predictions, not reality. I would also hugely benefit uh, the sort of the business case for sustainability. Uh, if you can predict what certain tweaks in a building in terms of material use or um, uh, glazing or things like that could do with uh, the climate, uh, the health of the people inside, the value of it, the energy efficiency, then yeah, it would be better to create sort of like a good business case for um making your building more sustainable. Yeah, I think also the, the building as a multiple source for other things is also, I think, a logical thing in the thinking, like uh, it whether it is used to generate stuff, like you have now technology that actually absorbs uh, light from outside and then turns it into energy, uh, but also using it for growing things or for, I mean, there's nowadays multiple ways to also rethink the purpose of your building. Uh, not only to capture office or that sort of stuff. Interesting. And um, the last part of this podcast, I would really do like to do some forecasting as uh, mm. you know, we're talking about AI, but maybe we can do a bit of forecasting ourselves as well. Um, Maurice, uh, I have a question for you. How big do you think the tech industry in the Netherlands will become in the coming years? Yeah, so I, uh, a bit what I said. So 350,000 jobs added in the until 2030. So that's a bit our uh, estimate if things develop in a in a positive uh, way. That's quite a lot of people, of course. And do you think those people will be also recruited in the Netherlands or mostly remote? Is there anything we can say on that? I think it depends how the government and we as a country uh, deal with uh, uh, talent development also. I mean, we attract now a lot and that's our recipe to, to be attractive and to get people here. It would be good if we invest a lot more also in education and get next generation people also available. Um, because that's a way more healthy way to actually yeah, boost it and give people access to that potential. And uh, what is your take on the coming years? Yeah, I think uh, I agree with Maurice. Uh, there's, there's enough opportunity, enough potential to grow. Uh, maybe you know, it would be great if we could get more talent outside the Netherlands because I don't, we don't have enough uh, in, inside. But I think there the housing crisis is, is a bit of a hurdle. Uh, you also already see it with international students. Well, there's no housing for them. So 
same for international digital or tech talent. Um, so there it would be good if, uh, if we also uh, look for a solution for that and getting more tech talent in to build the tech sector. I have one final question for you both, which I ask all of my guests, and that is uh, to share with us your dream project. Can I start with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Well, my dream project is actually building curiosity. We, we started last year and we want to build curiosity into a international uh, VC firm, uh, which also becomes a platform for uh, investment talent, uh, VC talent to, uh, to launch uh, new funds on. So uh, that, that is uh, something... You're living the dream already. I'm, I'm living it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and Maurice? Well, uh, several dreams. Uh, but one uh, I think is important is that we have the, the housing and mortgages, which is 30% of the, each household budget, uh, make it green. So I think it's very important that there are green labels and it's very easy. At the moment, it takes uh, two weeks to get your mortgage approved. And we see that the green desire that is always in there is uh, lost on the way. And that's a, a shame. It's 30% of the household budget going brown instead of green. And I think that would be great uh, to really change it in the market and put a bit of the uh, mortgaging power back to the individuals rather than only the money providers. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Thank you, Herman Kienhuis from Curious TVC and Maurice van Tilburg from TechLeap. We've learned today that the dip in VC investment in the Dutch tech sector was mainly caused by a peak in 2021, and we can expect a solid long-term trend in tech company growth. Therefore, tech companies will remain important when it comes to office space take-up, mainly in Amsterdam. Artificial intelligence companies are the ones to watch, as they're going to shake up the tech sector and not least in real estate. This was No Stone Unturned from Savills. Please subscribe to this podcast when you don't want to miss a thing and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app.